Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra unreal edition of Thrash and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast whose milkshake brings all the bears to the yard and they're like, damn, that shit is curdled. And speaking of curd, I'm Little Miss Muffet. But you can call me Aaron, and I'm joined, as usual, by my own little spider, because I call him Daddy Longwinded. He's also Evan the Metal Man. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. You're really struggling without the Baker puns, aren't you? You just proved me right, because it took you 30 seconds to get the response out. <laughs> now, apparently, you've got a mug that you're using that you put in the microwave like an absolute numpty. And also, we've established on this show that I ruined my beautiful Loki mug. So we've both ruined Marvel mugs. Yep. On the day we got them. Yeah, I got this replacement Mickey Mouse mug and pulled it out of the dishwasher and broke the freaking handle on me. <laughs> I can't win. <laughs> You can't win. I cannot win. But anyways, guess what? What? We have another legendary diva in the studio today. And thankfully, because us two stooges are about to meet a third. Because this classic <laughs> cult kid carved his course throughout pop culture with a colourful career creating comedic and clever characters that cut through our consciousness in a career that can't be contained. Much like Carl, the kid who went punk. Or Fred, the man who got away from the empty nest. And whilst the young and the restless are roomies in our house, Eamon, Eisenhower and Lutz await the return of Johnny Ryan in Paradise. And whilst these early roles rolled out a rolling roster of rollicking recurring and guest spots on some of TV's biggest sitcoms, including the Michael J. Fox show, New Heart, Sydney, Wings, Murphy Brown, Mad About You, Ali McBeal, and Getting Us Hot in Cleveland, it's no surprise to see this seriously slick sir surrender to arresting performances in Bodies of Evidence, Body of Proof, The Mentalist, Elementary, Boston Legal, Blue Bloods, The Blacklist, Damages, Unforgettable, The Good Wife, plus more and Law and Order, Special Franchise Unit in Law and Cop Shows, but also <laughs> Sex in the City, Unhitched, and Sex Life in copulation shows, which now makes this episode just that extra bit spicy. So where Oregano throw a huge Aussie g'day to this Broadway and Hollywood heartthrob, star of The Girl from North Country, who went runyon through NYC for Guys and Dolls, Rose, Rose, Rose for Company, got us choked up as Queen Trunchbull in Matilda, plus got choked up when told, thou shalt not, and all that happened after this gentleman went up a mountain but came down a hill for today's chosen and Musicon, which heralded him a hefty helping of award nominations and wins, including People Magazine's Sexiest Broadway Star. So weak at the knees, we shoo-poop him through our torture chamber with a warm welcome to this incredible actor, singer, comedian, writer, and one of EW's 100 most creative it people, whatever that means, whose iconic film work commits only victimless crimes for the long kiss goodnight, because till there was you, I had only sour grapes that caused fear and loathing in Las Vegas on the 13th floor, because I'm with Lucy Dickey Roberts, former child star, a Cinderella man stuck in a scary movie for, for, sorry, for your consideration. If you meet Bill, the change-up will be louder than words. But if I had wings, there'd be equity in this catfight for fair market value. So before I go and pun myself into the madman of the people, it's my pride and joy because our really little show just got really unreal because he's a star so bright, Danielle Steele named a TV movie after him. So try not to go berserk it because it's the one and only Mr. Craig Bjorko, welcome to the torture chamber. Holy guacamole, you're on my show. What? Oh, that was uh, that was incredible. Thank you very much. <laughs> I had to uh, live up to Harold Hill there. <laughs> yeah, bravo. 
Good Lord. Fantastic. And now I need a nap. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. As I hope your audience doesn't. Well, let's put them to sleep, shall we? Yes, I think so, yeah. <laughs> let's. I reckon. But yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. And I know you guys are up in the middle of the night for me. You have night in Australia, right? I've never been. I want to come there at some point. But I've never been, and I have friends, and I've worked with. Uh, well, guys, you got you have you you've placed people in every single show we have here. There's always an Australian person doing an American accent. Yep. And then you see them by the coffee, and they're like, "Good I And you're yep. like, "Oh, really? <laughs> I really want to do the mid-career like just reveal, and because I don't do a great Australian accent. Nobody, does. it's a tough accent. Yeah, I was about to say we don't accept uh, Americans doing Australian accents very often. Yeah, it's not good. The closest uh, I've come, because I, I try to do it, and I, I realized somebody that uh, iPad and iPad are the same, pronounced the same. So you could say, did you get the new iPad? Well, they don't make the iPad anymore, but I have the iPad. Well, they don't make that anymore. That's the same pronunciation, right? iPad and iPod. Yeah, we say iPad, yeah. But what do you call an iPod? An iPod, yeah. iPod. iPod. It sounds like iPad. <laughs> it's like a it's very bad who's on first routine. Did you get the iPad? <laughs> I think, yeah. So we can't hear it. I hear the Aussie accent when it's recorded and I hate it. Oh, really? That's why I lean into it for the introductions, because it's the only way I can hear my own voice if I know I'm doing a caricature of my accent. So it gets me through. But I'll tell you what, we always pop up in your shows. But if an American or a British actor dares come over here and take one of our jobs, our industry loses their shit about it because our industry is so tiny. Yeah, as well, they should. Yeah. So we only have 15 actors. They need jobs. I like, uh, well, they're all over here. Cassandra Clemente. No. Well, she was on that show. Uh, am I, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. But she was on the, the show. What was the, the uh, it was kind of a soap opera and it was sort of a teen soap opera. I know she got, she was surfing and she got her arm bitten off by a shark. Well, I was, I, she was on the show Unreal. She played my girlfriend on the show Unreal and she's great. Oh, did she? Okay. Yeah. Oh, the Australians took over that show. Adam Damos. Yep. Is that a familiar name? Yep. Yep. Just worked with him again. That, that name's familiar from Unreal though, admittedly. Yes. And he's doing a, there's a show on uh, Netflix now. And I did the second season, which is going to air soon, uh, called Sex Life. I'm in the life part. (laughs) Well, okay. I will move on because I've got a question here. Thou shalt not. Is it true you got punched in the throat on opening night? I don't think so. Did I? Apparently, you got punched in the larynx, went to the opening night party, and then spent a week and a half off. And I'd like to know, is that what percentage of that is professionalism and what percentage is the stubbornness of an actor (laughs) that you (laughs) continued on and soldiered on through that night? Well, that would... I don't, I honestly have no memory of that. I have no memory of it. It's Wikipedia, so it may not be true. It may not be true, but I will tell you that uh, that the, the woman who directed that was a woman named Susan Stroman. Yep. And uh, she's the one who, you know, was behind uh, the producers and mm-hmm. very, very talented woman. And she directed me in uh, the previous revival of The Music Man in 2000. Yep. The newest one stars your countryman, Hugh Jack. Mm-hmm. But I did it in 2000 and Susan Stroman directed it. And I remember during previews, I twisted my ankle. Okay. I had to, there's a library sequence and I had to slide down a pole and I, I turned my ankle. I, I couldn't stand on it. And, I, and there's a lot of dancing and moving in the show. And I just said, well, I, I, I can't do it. And she said, well, you have to because all the critics are coming during previews. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I literally I'm, I'm, I was hopping. I don't know what to tell you. And a guy, one of the dancers came out and he had 
He opened his hand and he had six Advil and he just went, welcome to Broadway. <laughs> and I took them and I felt fine. That was it. So if I did get punched in the larynx, unless they punctured the skin and went through the throat, I knew that I was working for Susan Stroman yep. and you show up. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of like that. So I like to think if that happens, uh, it sounds vaguely familiar, as does much of my life. Maybe there was a concussion along with the sore throat. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> it's not on your page. It's really strange. It's on the Thou Shalt Not Wikipedia page. Oh, I'll check that out. That's why I'm asking about it, because is it true or is this another bloody Wikipedia monkeys with keyboards deal? It sounds like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I'll, I'm trying to think uh, if I know somebody that I can call from the show, I probably do. I'll check it out. It sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, and quite frankly, that show, uh, if I could have washed the experience out, not that it was not that I didn't like the people. <laughs> I love the people but show. We shouldn't have without, 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 without did, but we, without shouldn't have, yeah. you know, it was a strange time. It was sort of based on, uh, Therese Rakin, mm-hmm. uh, which was turned into, uh, the postman always rings twice. Yep. Did you ever see that movie with Jack Nicholson um, and Jessica Lange? I've, I've meant to watch it, but no, I haven't A long yet. time ago, yeah. I never saw I actually never saw it. A couple, a married woman is having an affair, and we decide to kill her gimpy husband. That was basically it. Lovely idea for a musical. And when we were doing it, and I had, and my the reason I did it was A, Susan Stroman was directing it, and also... Harry Connick Jr.? There was this, Harry Connick Jr. wrote the music. I liked him a lot. Although I was constantly like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you? Why don't you do this? Well, man, I'll just want to. I just want to play the music. I'll just want to write, man. Great guy, but he didn't want to perform in it, so I, I did it. The greatest thing about it was there was this big production number. We kill her husband, and then we have to go to the morgue, and I do this big production number, huge big band number with all these bodies in the morgue. We're just wheeling all these bloody bodies by, and it was really surreal. Uh, and then nine eleven happened. That's right. Yeah. And I got to do it one night and they were like, yeah, we, we can't, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Timing is everything. I say this on the show. Yeah. Is there a flop or is there a bad show or is there just poor timing? Timing is everything. Well, there goes my segue. Cause I was going to say while on sore throats, we'll move on to metal. So if you were a <laughs> rock star, what would be in your dream rider, your craziest, most over the top rider? So anything you want. Um, like stewardesses from I'd like a time machine and go back to like the late seventies, no early seventies, late sixties and get what they used to call stewardesses. Now they have to call, they call flight attendants mm-hmm. stewardesses with the frosted blonde hair and the Pan Am. Yep. Yes. And then Angie Dickinson, like white lipstick. There you go. A, a constant showing of catch me if you can. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> yep. Perfect. There you go. I, w- I wish curves would come back. I like yeah. curves. Yeah, I look. I'm skinny, and I, I've said it a lot of time. It's it's awkward. It's not nice. It's not pretty. And I don't get why the media boosts it up so much because I don't look human. I've been in a bar, and some guys said I look like ET. So Evan, do you feel Aaron is not pretty? <laughs> no, I'd say it's not pretty. I know I'm pretty. That's I, I know my place. <laughs> okay, in. good. I don't want you to get into a loop here. Don't get into a bad loop. I don't know. I've seen more than just the head and the shoulders. There's, there's not a lot oh. there. Oh, I don't know where to look now. I don't know where to look. <laughs> and I, I lost half yeah. my shoulder last night with a puppy. Bloody hell. 
anyways just touching back on on curves there was a lot of corsets going on then too wasn't there corsets are great that was long before stockings <laughs> yeah if you had to wear one <laughs> back then curves were in that was it was to accentuate the curves of the hips and the bosom that's why the corsets were worn that's why those big dresses were worn because being a bit bigger and not bloody stick thin was in and it was cool anyways that's right i'm gonna get worked up about it so let's move on. Have you had any experience with heavy metal over the years? I think I tried to, as a kid, I'm old. So I actually, it wasn't retro, like in real time. Kiss was pretty big when I was in the seventh grade, which is for us would be like, you know, you're, you're basically entering the tragic period of adolescence where everything, your body just completely goes haywire as it boots up. That God's horrible trick, which is you, your whole system boots up and you begin to look at the opposite sex. At the same time, you're riddled with acne and oils and it's everything chemically is just going wrong. It's like a firework show. But I remember everybody started listening to Kiss and I started listening to Kiss and I, I couldn't. Uh, that's as, that was pretty much as heavy as I got. And it took a lot of work. I bought all the albums. We had a store called Corvettes. It's no longer there. Bought all the actual albums and. I think a couple of songs I like. I liked uh, Kiss Destroyer. I liked Detroit Rock City. If they got a good riff, is a good riff. And then if it if you can hang it on something as powerful as as metal, I like it. Uh, I think, and I think the first time I ever had a, have any memory of hearing anything that sounded even remotely like metal. This is really goofy, but my brother was is two years older so he he was discovering music before i did you know uh and i would hear actually i heard like dance 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 that so it was jesus christ superstar i know it's not metal but it, it sounded dark to me and the monkeys made a movie called head uh and the did you ever see it the movie head no um what type no. of movie was that because no. that doesn't sound like a uh, family-friendly movie <laughs> no as a matter well as a matter of fact jack nicholson wrote it Oh. He was he hadn't yet made it as an actor and oh, wow. he was just kind of jobbing around as a writer and he'd written a movie called The Trip which was a jug movie so this was around 1960 he wrote that in like 1965 66 and the monkeys had gone for 2 years they were heading off the air they wanted to do a monkeys movie which would have essentially been like the TV show they didn't want to do that and the director and the creator of the show was this guy Bob Raffleson who went on to do five easy pieces he went on to shepherd Nicholson into becoming like a movie star that whole movie with Nicholson where he's like, I'd like a chicken salad sandwich. Yeah, oh. rings a bell. There's this whole, it's it's iconic. It's really great. And anyway, he wrote the script and there's a song in it called Circle Sky. And I remember here, you know, this was back in the day. So there was no video. There was no way to access the movie, but I had the album. And it didn't sound anything like the monkeys. It was just a little kid, you know, listening to his monkeys albums. And this thing comes on and it's kind of dark. Uh, it's a great album. It's it's, But it doesn't sound like them they just went for it in the first five minutes of the movie which is nuts it doesn't really work but they went for it they kill themselves oh they jump off a bridge and kill themselves and the whole thing is about how they try to kill themselves they jump off this bridge and then they end up back in the monkey house you know where all this, the show was and they're just on a loop they were basically making a it's kind of hip making a comment on themselves that they've they're fucked yeah can i say can sure sure yep, sure. yep, yep. so they're kind of screwed <laughs> because uh 
they're they're monkeys and they had like a great two years big pop stars but they're sort of the joke of the industry and they predicted that we're just going to be on this loop it's just going to be over and over and they end up running back up on the bridge again and jumping off again and it's just an endless loop of killing themselves being miserable <laughs> that's the monkeys and it doesn't work it's a great idea but it begins after that first scene when they jump off you're like this is great oh it's not great no and it's just you know, yeah, uh, they wanted to have it both ways. Yeah. yeah, they tried to be funny. But what they were trying to do was to legitimize themselves so that they wouldn't be like Mickey and Mike and Davey and Pete. They'd be yeah. them and they could kill their TV personas. That's what they were trying to do. Uh huh. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. I've never heard of that before. It's kind of I would call it like um, like pre-punk. Yeah. And weirdly, at the end of the 60s, it was the most rock and roll thing anybody had ever done. I mean, if you look at it like. Rolling Stones stayed together, and now they charge like 500 bucks if you want to sit up front. The Beatles, uh, you know, didn't make it. It was just sort of, and the monkeys were still there, and they just died mm. off. Now it's just Mickey. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was really kind of cool that they did that. It was kind of pre-punk. That's what I call yeah. it, because the music wasn't for kids. Yeah. And the, the overtone of the, the movie is kind of dark. And the reason they called it Head was so that if there was a sequel, they could say from the people who gave you Head. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. <laughs> oh, wow. I want a poster, a one sheet of that. Yeah. That's your adult monkey's moment. Well, on that note, um, and especially that, that's because obviously we don't screen our guests. We, we, we know we surprise you guys with questions and stuff like that. Sure. So I had no idea you were going to pull out this loop of a story because that kind of plays into my review. Very long, boring, yeah, very long, boring story. No, 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 that's Evan's job. No. Anyways, I'm going to quickly run through my review because... I never um, get a word in. <laughs> uh, I picked the album this week and I picked Primus's Frizzle Fry, which I'll explain in my review why I picked it, but this all connects up. Mm. So anyways, when I first decided to redo Primus, it was out of pity for Evan and really only picked this <laughs> album because... Frizzle Fry sounds like it came from the Music Man. So I pressed play on the 19-minute opening track and found this number to be rather darker than the Primus I've come to know after one other album, because now I'm apparently an expert. But when the second track, Groundhog Day, started, I was worried it'd just be a repeat of the one that came before it. But when the second track, Groundhog Day, started, I was worried it'd just be a repeat of the one that came before it. But when the second track, Groundhog Day, started, I was worried it'd just be a repeat of the one that came before it. And I was also kicking myself for not waiting until we actually did Groundhog Day the musical. Bugger. But then track three started and everything turned cold. Too many puppies? How very dare you. No such thing. Minus three stars. Mr. Know-it-all sounded something like my parents would call me. Rude. Minus another star. <laughs> But as the album rolled on in Primus's uniquely topsy-turvy way, I wondered if this perhaps was the wrong choice to juxtapose against the Music Man, as the band haven't yet seemed to wholly lean into that redneck rabble rouser rhythm I heard in Pork Soda. Here I can hear them dipping their toes in what are ultimately darker, less fun, but no less compelling tracks, which have each added a star, granted, taking them to at least a two stars overall. But then someone catches my eye, Harold on the Rocks. Because before he was Harold of the Hill, he was Harold of the Rocks. Good work, me. Three and a half stars. 
<laughs> so I I kind of liked it. It just wasn't as fun as I thought pork soda was, which also had that darkness to it. But there was also a real fun quality to it. Here I thought they were just very serious. They wanted to be taken seriously as a band. And you heard that in the music because obviously you've got this sort of redneck swampy type of feel to their music. And that's very easy for audiences to turn away and record companies obviously to slam the door on them so it did feel like this was their way of making their mark was to show that they're serious musicians and it made their songs a bit darker and less fun than their sophomore yeah. effort where they do get to actually yeah this was the really the first album they did a an ep called suck on this and they used the money from that to fund this album so it really is the first album and i think too many puppies um Obviously, is is about awful um, name. I'm so heartbroken. It's about the military. It's too many kids getting killed in wars. Oh well, I don't listen to lyrics, Evan. You know this. I I look at song titles and judge a book on its cover. <laughs> He's not a dog hater, is what what I'm saying. It, that's also the first song he ever wrote. Funnily enough. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh. Well, I didn't know that because it's your job to tell me these things, but um. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I didn't hate it. Obviously, I just I wasn't uh, looky. I, I I hate this expression. Well, I, no, I don't hate this expression. When I when you say I wasn't really a fan of something, the reaction is, oh, you hated it. No, I didn't hate it. I'm just not putting the posters on my wall and going out and buying every record and buying a ticket to the concert. It was good, but I wasn't a fan of it. Like I I'm not going to be sitting there screaming in an audience like people we need to sort these criticisms out because just because you didn't like something or love something doesn't make you a hater anyway so I didn't hate it I just didn't love it like I wanted to because I really did enjoy pork soda oh good I, I enjoy the title I I could just savor yeah. that for a while yeah <laughs> <laughs> hit it I'll go close the door it is freezing out here it's like Nine degrees. Is it? I think it's warmer in Melbourne at the moment. Well, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Uh, no, it's it's about, yeah, it's it's not warm. No. It's not warm. No. Yeah. Pork soda kills me. That's hilarious. Is that what you said? Pork soda? Pork soda, yes. That's said, is it the second album? The second, uh, yes. Yeah, oh, second okay. studio album, yeah. yeah. Which okay. we covered previously uh, months ago. You weren't here. Evan was in hospital for it. So that's what that joke was about, oh, out of pity. Right. Yeah, because yeah, he was so excited, <laughs> so excited to do Primus. I didn't even tell him this week we were doing it because I knew he would be a puppy about it and piss all over the floor and just have too much information to say. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Oh, wait, Harold <laughs> of the Rocks. That's the one that makes more. Oh, that's six minutes, too. Uh, yeah. Is there any crossover? No, it's it's just, uh, I think, a tale about a, a friend, basically. It's, you know, another character. That's why I thought you'd, you'd really enjoy, you know, this album, because it is littered with, you know, those character songs well, yeah. where they just sort of make up crazy characters. Yeah, I like that. It's just thought it wasn't as fun. That's all. Just today, you know, Googling Primus again, and um, someone posted a video like six hours ago. Uh, they had Matt Parker and Trey Stone on stage singing the South Park theme with Primus. Oh, wonderful. And oh, that's yeah, hilarious. That was awesome. Yeah. And they were telling the story how they recorded it in um, in half speed, basically. Well, they they originally did it in half time. And uh, you know, the creators, South Park, came back and sort of went, oh, they want it like, you know, twice as fast. Yeah. And they're on tour. And they're going, you yeah, know, can you re-record the song? And they're like, oh. Hell no, just speed it up. <laughs> so they did. Yeah, video <laughs> clips that you see in slow motion are usually done really fast and then they slow it yeah. down. 
I'm able to play share play. I don't want to share it. Bloody record companies. It's funny that someone like Sony will give us the um, equipment to burn CDs and then tell us don't burn CDs. That's right. <laughs> tell us not to. Yeah. That's right. Why are you selling us the fucking equipment then, you assholes? Goodness me. <laughs> For data backup, obviously. They know what people are going to do with it. People are not stupid. It's just so music, man. It is, isn't it? It's how it was a fluke, an absolute fluke, Craig. It was just like in the middle of the night. All right, we'll go with that one. It sounds like something Harold Hill would say, frizzle fry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. Sounds like it's out of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty great. What's your favorite metal band? Primus. Primus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've seen, seen them pretty much every time they've they've come into the country. So it's only about five times. Only. But yeah. How old were you when you started listening? Yeah, it would have been uh, sort of middle high school. So uh, what, 14, 15? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Do you think it's possible for somebody like my age, like to if they, I don't know, I never really listened to metal, never really thought about it too much. Just wasn't. Uh, but what would you, do you think it's possible for because it's so much like it seems to evoke like all that stuff that you're going through in high school it sort of captures that raw kind of uh, rage and confusion and you know it's yeah do you think it's possible later in life to discover it yeah yeah do you? sure I found out that my my mom's maiden name my grandfather's name is hilarious that's not their name, but it's it's hilarious. And I always tell people, if you can guess it, I'll give you a million dollars. You know, and nobody would ever be able to guess it because it's their last name is Distillator. So I'm looking online to see if there are any distillators. It sounds like it, Blender. It's like having the last name Blender, some appliance, you know. So I'm looking for other distillators online just to see if they're, you know, where this name comes from. And I discovered a heavy metal band called Distillator. Do you know them? <laughs> no, but it sounds no. it sounds right. <laughs> it's hilarious that like yeah. with my Nana, but with the that sort of gothic writing, yep. distillator, you know? Yep. And I got t-shirts, but I got it sent to the wrong address, but I got t-shirts <sighs> for the families. So anyway, <laughs> I should have told you that should be the, uh-huh. we could have all discovered distillator together. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's surprising you you're saying, you know, not having that much exposure to metal and, and I've been hearing it a lot through guests where, yeah, the, uh, I don't understand how you could have avoided Look, the radio stations in Australia, like with every, you know, third or fourth song will be pretty heavy. It's, no, I wasn't avoiding it. We've um, go, we go through this with me every week, Evan, that I grew up. You can't avoid it. With Metallica and Guns N' Roses, but then there are still mm. songs and still bands and stuff that I had no clue about and we've just totally got like Ozzy Osbourne. So what is the difference between, is there's different kinds of metal, like it gets really intense, right? But so what are, what's the difference? What are the different kinds? Oh, it's a huge list. I mean, there's groove metal, speed metal, metal core. Right. Uh, like you said, black metal, death metal. Proto metal. I invented that one. <laughs> Proto metal. Yeah. Did I say groove metal? Yep. Funk rock. I said that you denied it existed and Wikipedia proved me right. I denied it was a genre. Yeah, you did. But yeah, there's every melodic metal. There's, there's so many. It's every subgenre you can think of. Uh, th- th- what was the... um. Glam rock. There's operatic metal. Yep. There's you name it. There, there's literally you know these really hardcore 
metal bands that are just heavy as hell with like an opera singer up front. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's really different. Very theatrical. Yeah, there's there's so many different subgenres. As long as it's loud okay. and heavy, yeah. it'll qualify. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. And there's a uh, certain hatefulness in there. Yeah. I hate myself. I need a hug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's what it seems like. It seems, you know, punk, it sounds to my ear like punk seems to be like a stripped down version of that. Or different. I know there are different kinds of punk, but I'd say like the Sex Pistols. They wanted that to be, they wanted to kill rock and roll. Yeah. So it was more political with punk. Yeah. But music wise, it just seemed to be like just more like, you know, kind of dark and powerful, but less of a full sound. Yeah. Three chords. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Three chords, three instruments. That's that's punk, right? Unfortunately, you were listening to Primus through a phone, which yeah. um, that's not the way to. I I can appreciate that. I can. It's the bass. You've got to have you know a decent yeah. subwoofer yeah. to really appreciate Les Claypool's playing. Yeah, he's one of the best bass players in the world, and at some of the tones he hits, just it's uh, just incredible. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. Goes nuts on the, on this this six string fretless electric upright bass played with a bow and it just right. rumbles the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're amazing live. They're very percussive in their music. The drummer is very percussive. There's there's so many interesting rhythms like topsy turvy. I'd love to find my way in. I, it wasn't like we don't have exposure to it. We definitely did. I would I just remember like hearing my brother playing even the Rolling Stones when I was a kid. And I was just my ear went towards like brighter major sounds, melody, you know. That's why it's like melody metal sounds really interesting to me like what that might be i mean it's all going to be metal at the end of the day i don't know it'd be interesting you know i'm sure my ear my ear is already prejudiced to whatever the environment was or the kids who were listening to it you know but and then to turn the the question completely around uh you know i'm one of my 46 and i'm i'm having to appreciate musicals in the last 12 months yeah and (laughs) you know i'm listening to all manner of crazy stuff like falsetto land and and um, uh, I, yeah, yeah, um, and 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 yeah, appreciating you know orchestrations and arrangements and yeah. So I've I listened to pretty much heavy music my entire life, and now I'm listening to musicals and and so now you're hearing stuff that's melody and character driven. Yeah, yeah, and looking forward to Frozen the musical. We're going to go and see that. And it, oh, okay. I've never seen that. You know, I'll be I'll be singing along because I know all the songs. I've heard <laughs> the album like fifteen times by now. Do you enjoy it, or is it is is it torturous for you? Uh, yeah, some of them are painful, and I really don't want to listen to them again. But I know I have to put it on again. But yeah, there's some there's some musicals I will still that we've reviewed, and I will still put on random songs from. Yeah, yeah, cool. You know, just in the car. You know, like things from Spring Awakening. Right. Oh, and everybody's talking about Jamie. I don't know that one. That's a British one, yeah. Yeah, it's a British one. Um, yeah, there's Ooh. some really good songs in that. This one I just did. At North Country? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys had a production of that? Yes, just it was just in Melbourne. I don't know if it still is. Okay. I saw it in the UK when it first came out. It didn't hit me. It was Dylan Music. Never been a huge Dylan fan just because I couldn't find my way in. It was the same thing. I got offered the musical here. They some guy left the show after the pandemic and they were trying they've been trying to open it for like three years on Broadway and they finally got it open. Very strange play. It was hard to figure. A lot of it didn't make sense, uh, but it does in the way that life makes sense. Things don't necessarily add up, but you end up recognizing the people. There's kind of it's sort of a tragic situation it takes place during the Depression and it's all Dylan music. 
So it's in the 30s, but it's all Dylan music. And then we're not even singing necessarily about what it is that we're going through. So and I was like, well, this is this is strange. And I remember not really getting it, but I had seen a play that afternoon. It was too much, you know. So I started working on it and people go nuts over this thing because it's a beautiful play. It's written by this guy, um, uh, Connor McPherson, wonderful playwright. And it's Dylan music. And for some reason, I can't even explain it. It all adds up by the end. Everything adds up and it's a complete theatrical experience. You, it's very moving. I would recommend that one too. It doesn't feel like you're listening to a musical. I mean, when I listened to a mu- I grew up watching them and, and my parents had all the albums and, uh, I think it's wherever you discover this stuff. Like if you see the show, then it's a great touchstone, obviously. And you can listen to that music. I was never, for some reason, never really a big Springsteen fan. But we have a a theater company here that I saw as a a kid. Made me want to be an actor. uh, The Steppenwolf Theater Company. That's where Malkovich comes from. And a lot of great actors. Sinise, yeah. Yeah, Gary Sinise. And I and I saw this production called Bomb and Gilead. And it start mm-hmm. Gary Sinise like raises his hand. They're all like street, you know, people. And and it's really gritty, really moving play. And he lifts his hand and all of a sudden Springsteen just shoots out. It's a I, I can't even remember what song it was. Uh, oh, Born to Run. It was Born to Run. So I hear that play and I connect it to that play and that experience of like yeah. being thrilled in a theater. And that song is great. There's some Tom Waits music in it. It's just a different level because I'm tying it to that experience. That's why I wonder if if your love of metal, like if I had discovered that in high school or like, a, you know, if it was like the first time you have that, you know, first kiss or something like that, that's that's the music that you're listening to. Like it's representative. And, you know, that's what music does for me. Yeah. And I find that I I don't like listening to show music if I haven't seen the show. It feels kind of pale. It's supposed to be a whole, you know, a complete experience. You're really only listening to part of it. I mean, there are musicals that I think where the songs are can stand on their own. But uh, and I haven't heard Frozen. And it's hilarious to me that we were just listening to this song and you're listening to Frozen. I can't believe the, that that trajectory is I can't even imagine it. Yeah. I mean, that's mind bending. That's mind bending. <laughs> that was the first episode we did was Frozen. Um, or the first, sorry, mm. the first episode that Evan was in. It wasn't the first one we recorded with him, but it was the first that aired. And we just had on one of the cast members. So I'm so proud, though, and so excited for him because that'll be his first big professional musical. Mm. So whilst it is Frozen, a lot of people will groan at that. He gets that big musical experience. He gets that blow you away experience and i'm very excited for him so that'll be happening if something's well if something's well done if it's well put together you can appreciate it you don't have doesn't have to be your favorite thing but like stages it's a i don't know yeah it's kind of a special zone you know when they nail it it's great yeah you know you you don't even have to be a, a fan of that particular show if it's well directed and sort of seamless you can appreciate it for what it is. You know? yeah. I feel the same way about metal. Like if, although I'm trying to think of now, it would have to be in the right context if it adds to whatever it is I'm watching or if the band is uh, really, you know, exciting to watch. You know, if there's a reason to go to the, if there's a reason to go to the show other than to, you know, feel my, all of my organs vibrating in my body. <laughs> yeah. It isn't so bad, yeah. but it, but if something to connect to so that, you know, when you go back and listen to the albums, you kind of have, oh man, like it means something. I'm sure you go back to your childhood yeah. in some elemental way. And, uh, yeah. As, as you said, the same difference uh, between, you know, there's many bands that we called shoegazers. <laughs> They're just leaning over the guitars, staring at their shoes. Yeah. 
as opposed to you know putting on a show like Muse is one of the the best shows I've ever seen. Right, they just go all out. Did it inspire you? Well, no. That was a joke, Evan. The band is Muse. <laughs> Muse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it it kind of right. does because I I watch I see what's going on on stage. I want to be yeah. Able, I want to be backstage building that. Yeah, is is what I want to be doing. You know, yeah. I want to be organizing. 48 screens to all show stock tickers in real time like who does that that could have been pre-recorded no it was live like yeah what the hell yeah yeah they they really went above and beyond that's great that's awesome iron maiden are very much like that as well they put on a massive show with all the costumes and and pyrotechnics and planes flying over and they go nuts is that Bruce Dickinson? Yeah, Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. I got it right. Finally, <laughs> I can hear our audience cheering all around the world right now. Yeah. Bring it back to Primus. They they put on a show. They'll they'll dress up and uh, you know do sets. So like the like I said, the the clip I saw uh, today was the the stage was actually set up like South Park, and they had all the snowy trees and the houses in the background. And oh, fun! Yeah, it looked awesome. Oh, cool! Yeah, they put a show. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, anyways, we'll move on because it looks like Frizzle Fry has fizzled out. We're going to fly to an ad break. Bye. Uh, all right, that wasn't wasn't as thrilling as I thought it would be. <laughs> Hey there, it's time to get popped on Culture, the official Puzzle Hub pop quiz podcast. And welcome to game number five. I'm your new host, Matt Young. And for today's special theme, we're going to test your knowledge on musical groups, including bands, boy bands, girl groups, and vocal ensembles. Play against your friends or the clock and see how you go. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Game one, songs in the key of words. I'm going to give you three key words that appear within eight different songs. Pretty simple. If you guess the song correctly on the first keyword, give yourself three points. If you guess it on the second, give yourself two points, which of course means give yourself one for guessing it on the third and final keyword. So let's see how you go. Ready? First clue. Fantasy. Landslide. Reality. That was Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Second clue. Lights. Carrie. Home. Of course, that's all the small things by Blink-182. Next up, Valentino. Crystal. Italian. That's right, it was Manic Monday by The Bangles. I was kissing Valentino by a crystal blue Italian stream. Alrighty, fourth, picked, bunch, glance. I want you back by the Jackson 5. How are you going so far? Next up, lady, glitters, buying. Have a stairway to heaven by Led Zeppelin. Lonely, gazing, window. That one was a little bit hard for me, but that was Waterfalls by TLC. Here's our seventh clue. Walked, smile, cool. Of course, that was Stop 
by Spice Girls. And lastly, Honey, Bees, Envy. My Girl by The Temptations. And time's up. How did you go in that round? And be sure to check out our other shows on the Bloop Network, especially Thrash and Treasure, where you'll hear incredible interviews with genuine icons of stage and screen. So until the next game, I've been Matt, you've been Popped on Culture, and I shall see you next time. See ya! Anyways, we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the brilliant Craig Bioko. Holy guacamole. Now, I know Evan is very excited to ask you about this because you did the attempt at Red Dwarf. Oh, man. Still <laughs> infamous to this day to Red Dwarf fans. Yeah. Do you have an apology to them all? No, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, no, no. They, I totally get it. I'm in on the joke. I totally get it. It was a fail. Yeah. Did not work. But the thing I will say is that I knew it. I watched the show. I watched the original Red Dwarf. So when I, I knew that I was, when I found out that they, you know, uh, NBC did it and they wanted me to do this, I just watched the show and I thought I shouldn't be playing that guy. But that's very American. They'll take a role that should have been, you know, it should have been like a young John Belushi or something like that. It should have been Chris Farley, you know, uh, and but that wouldn't have saved because the script wasn't very good. And the reason the script wasn't good was because it's it was so British. And uh, we had the original Crichton. He came over and did it. Uh, Robert Llewellyn, who's uh, brilliant. It didn't work. It, it, ultimately, I think the cast was ended up being pretty good, but the writing was not great. And I suggested, look, why don't because it wasn't working. I said, why don't you bring the British guys over and have them do it, which they did. And the British guys came over. Now, that show was already like a big hit, like a, or I guess it was sort of an underground hit, you know, but it was it had a massive following and NBC kept taking what was working and American TVizing it, which was to just was like spraying it with unfunny, you know, and that's what happened. It was <laughs> it was just wasn't funny. We did two goes at it. We took two swings at it. So cut to a couple of years ago. It's like, what is it like the 20th? anniversary or 25th whatever it was and i was with my girlfriend at the time in turkey and i got this email saying if you want to like you know say hi like make a little video clip you know and i think they were sort of like if you want to i don't know if this is a bad and i was like no i love the fact that i follow all the i'm a fan of the show uh not ours <laughs> and i secretly love the fact that i have this connection to the show in that we made a horrible version of it like a big loud american bad version of it it's it's unwatchable they wanted me to make a little video for some convention that they were having and i just introduced them. i said i know i'm i get it and if you hate me i'm fine with that but i just i love the fact that i'm part of this family even if i had to sneak in through the back door like this because i'm a fan <laughs> that's the way i feel i have a lot of affection for that show and i I've, I've begged the producers ever since we did it please bring me on the british version bring the cast on and kill us Great idea. A piano fall on your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something like that. Anything. Evan said to me the other day he knows what the problem was. Yeah, it was basically exactly as you said. I was, yeah, I was Googling you and, and found that you were in the pilot. And I, I saw it way back when. There was, there's a grainy copy out there. Yeah. I have a new, I have a good copy of it. I, I can send it to you. <laughs> oh, nice. But I don't think it's, it's not going to save it. 
It's good that it was obscured. I think it's good for you. I often use it as an example of why a lot of uh, American adaptations just didn't work. You know, why The Office worked and Red Dwarf didn't. You know, The Office was rewritten for Americans and the right casting. Yes, right casting, but the writers also understood and the, the studio backed them up too, but they, but they understood the tone. If they had gotten the tone of the show right, I think it would have been fine because some of the jokes were brilliant. Like Crichton has been ahead on a shelf for two million years and I come out of stasis. Like that was the, it was the same pilot. And I said, have you been conscious for two million years? years and he said yes i've been reading that fire exit sign it's given me a lot of comfort over the years you know i just like <laughs> the man's been staring at a fire exit sign reading it for two million years and he was fine it's delightful for him that to me was like a joke's a joke but the it was it was the direction and it was and and it was kind of plodding and um and it sort of looked cheap which is really likable with the british version but yep. didn't help us for some reason I don't know. I, I don't know if it was something that, and I think it was also just at the time. I mean, there, there was, a, there is a history. I mean, a lot of our great shows like Sanford and Son, All in the Family is one of the great American shows. Those are both based on British shows. So, I mean, we have a history of pilfering, but uh, yeah, this one was, this one was, this didn't work. <laughs> yes, you do. Even from us. Yeah. Oh man. I love Australian TV. There's some great comedy there. Yeah, I know yeah. Um, there's probably some real junk like everywhere else, but I love some of the older stuff. Oh, there's nothing at the moment, but fucking reality. Oh, it's all exciting. Goodness yeah. me, there's like three scripted shows. I can't think that's happened it's... all over the place. Older Australian comedy, I'm thinking Mother and Son. Mother and Son, yes, oh, Ruth Cracknell and Gary McDonald. What is that from? Mother and Son. Mother and Son, an old Mother Australian Son, show. Yes. is Classic Australian comedy, yeah. Yeah, I think I've told the story of I've, I saw Ruth Cracknell in Lost in Yonkers. That's right. Yeah, you did. Oh, mm. gee, she was brilliant. It's a, like a middle-aged son and his mother and they live together and she's just an old biddy and that's great. Makes life so she's sort of on her way on her way to dementia, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay. That's funny. So yeah, an Australian sitcom, really. There was a, a show that it's actually, uh, I think it's from like the 70s, Don Lake. He, he was an American guy who came over there. A Don Lane, yeah. Don Lane. Don yeah. Lane show, yep. That's sort of like old timey, but you can get it on YouTube. I'll just put on Australian TV. Yeah, you just find something. I do that with British TV all the time, which I just love. I love like like Morecambe and Wise. Do you remember the old, any yep. of these? Old, they're way yep. before my time too. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're great. They're really charming. Two, the two Ronnies. Yeah. Two Ronnies, hilarious. Yeah, I love that <laughs> stuff. And then, you know, the great stuff like Faulty Towers, obviously, Monty oh, Python. I mean, that was life-changing. But did you hear that um, because of the British summer, Rowan Atkinson's now changed the character to Mr. Baked Bean? <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> well, what is it? Oh, that's right. Yeah. We're flying into the sun. We're winging headlong into the sun. We are, thankfully. Yeah. Got to get rid of us all. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough. Anyways, we're going to move on. From Harold on the Rocks to Harold on the Hill. Oh, I ruined my segue in my review. I completely forgot that. We're going to do The Music Man, which was your Broadway debut classic one of the greatest american musicals so we'll see what evan thought let's see if it is <laughs> we did the original broadway cast recording they didn't record your production did they They did oh they did oh we... they did i can get you a copy i think you could... do you have spotify it's not on there well i couldn't see it's it not? on there no 
Should be. Maybe they took it off when uh, the Hugh Jackman one came out. I don't know. But we did make one. It's good. And in terms of you being an artist on there, you're not. So any cast recording that you are on, you're not popping up as Mm. being credited on. That's how they tell you. Yep. Okay. We uh, run into this sort of thing all the time with our guests and... Yeah. (laughs) I'll find it somehow. I know I have a couple of like analog discs, old timey, like old wax cylinders. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but have at it, have at it. No album there that's the 2000 cast. There's a couple of versions of the movie cast. All right, maybe I can find it. And then it goes into like The Boy From Oz, Dogman, The Amazing Spider-Man, Chicago, The Greatest Showman. What? There you go. These are just things with man in the title. That's all you're doing. You're just giving me men. Yeah. <laughs> now you give me men, not when I ask for them. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. What? So you're reviewing the album. You're reviewing the original cast album, okay? Kind of, yeah. I, okay. I listen to yeah. it as a, as a musical album. Generally, I just want to do every week. I will just put it on blindly without knowing anything about it, and, okay? And just yeah, see what you know, see what I think about it. Yeah, I'm surprised actually. I did know a couple of these songns. Funnily enough, like Shapoopy, um, I only know from Family Guy. Yep, right. She did the full number. <laughs> And it was yeah. the whole joke that they're, they're, they're going all in and doing the full bloody number in that. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Wow. Yeah. And I swear I've heard 76 trombones before somewhere. Oh, yeah. You would have. That's yeah, pretty, definitely. Yeah. And, and yeah, had, this seems to be a lot like Hello Dolly type territory where it just keeps coming back and it keeps getting revived. But, you know, it's a very oh. dated story. Period piece. A con man comes to town. That's not dated yeah. at all. Look around at the world, Evan. <laughs> yeah, our country's being eaten alive. Our country's literally living it. Yeah, they've had to change a few things, though, in the revivals, just so it's not quite so sexist. They had to change this new one. Yeah, we didn't change a word. The whole world has changed since we did it. I heard about it. I haven't seen this production. You don't have $700 spare? It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, that is ridiculous. That's ridiculous how much they charge. But I did hear that they made all these changes. I don't get it. I don't get it. No, I, I don't get it either. And to, to soften the art, art is a comment on the time. The Music Man created in 1950 is a comment on the 1950s done through the 1910s. Right. So they're commenting on a time using a device. It is no point looking at that art and saying, well, this is sexist. Look at the fucking times. Judge the times. The art is commenting on the times. Once you start painting over the art, fuck off. Seriously, <laughs> fuck off. Fuck right off. Seriously. Like, that. who who did that painted over a painting recently? Like, that should show where we are. We've gone from marveling over cave paintings, going, oh, my God, this is amazing art. This is historic to suddenly painting over people's art, to suddenly walking out of a theatre because there was a gay character in there and, and your individuality doesn't allow a gay character in your life, fuck off. Yeah. Fuck right off. <clears throat> Stop telling artists how to art. Anyway, sorry, Craig, I just got worked well, up. Well, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, feel this, I, I find this to be really interesting. And I was just talking to, to a friend of mine on, on the phone about this. You enter the market just like everybody else. If people don't come to see the play. Also... Your yeah. marketing plays to people who, I'm sorry, but $700 a ticket when it's like, do we pay rent this month or do we mm-hmm. go to see a play for three hours? The state of the theater here is, it's unfortunately, it caters to people who are really well money. So it's great. We should, everybody should be represented, but it it's going to mean that everything's going to flip over and it's going to, everything's going to have to write itself. 
Yeah. We're going to have to go through a period of, of change, also a period of failure. Like a lot of these shows, some of them are doing really well, but by and large, most of them aren't. No. And that's the nature of the beast already. If a show is well done, like you'll enjoy Frozen if it's well done. And you won't sit there thinking, I'm enjoying a show written for uh, 12 year old girls, you know. But <laughs> if it's, the, the fact of the matter is the Music Man, it's family. It's family entertainment. It's, it's kind of wholesome. And it, it sort of uh, reflects a kind of darkness that's actually in the world. But it doesn't it's not dark. There's not a single dirty word i mean it's it's very very pure when they took shapoopy and they sort of made it you know Did they take out hussy it was already like grab your girl and said suddenly a hussy and it was like it's like gently you know ask her if she wants to dance ask you gotta ask you can't just grab some i don't know it's stuff like that makes me nuts yeah it's the, the music man is commenting on a time don't judge the art people stop it stop it, it wouldn't do that with to be or not to be Ooh, that's going to be triggering for people who maybe uh yeah. to be you know to go into a well-lit room or not maybe yeah. that should be what it is you know but suicide that's dangerous a lot of kids out there you know it's so yeah. it's just uh, stupid yeah yeah, it's getting bad. Uh, to bring that up with um suicide, um, if you watch a, a lot of YouTube, like they won't even bleep it out anymore. They just just blanket. Like they, if you put that word in your video, you're going to get demonetized. They have to be really careful. Everything disappears. You know, they take down videos about you know where someone's literally doing, say, a news article on someone's suicide, and oh that'll get either demonetized or taken down. It's it's. Yeah, it's getting really bad. The censorship on YouTube is getting quite horrendous. But it's self-censorship because everyone knows that if if I talk about this, I'm getting demonetized. And some a lot of these people, that is their entire revenue stream. That's the dangerous thing is that people sort of get in line. Yeah. Yeah. They get in line. Self-censoring. Yeah. Self-censoring, exactly. It. That's almost more frightening. It's self-centering for somebody to sit there and say, I'm upset by this thing and now everyone else has to stop talking about that thing. I find that so arrogant and so selfish. Look, yeah. I've gone through a history of violence and stuff like that. I, my teeth got knocked out of my mouth, Craig, at school. Like I've been punched and kicked and spat on. But I don't look at a bully in a movie and sit there and, and start crying going, this is about me. Yeah. This movie has to be banned now because they're showing what I went through. Yeah, it's selfish. It's arrogant. It's it's putting yourself in the center of a universe that revolves around you. I'm sorry, but my parents have raised me constantly telling me the world does not revolve around you, boy. Constantly my whole yeah. <laughs> life. Everything seems to boil down to arrogance as self-centeredness as well as the self-censoring. It's a self-centeredness that, you know, someone will go into a theater and, and then get up and make a big scene and walk out because there was a gay character in that play. And well, I don't want to have to watch that. So they're going to make a scene. And this has happened in the UK, apparently. Who knows if it's true or not? It was during Rent. Who is going to see Rent and thinking, oh, there's gay people in this show. I need to walk out. Like, what? Do your freaking research, people. But my point is, like... Does that happen? that happened? Apparently, in the UK, and, and Asha tweeted about it, that someone walked out of the production of Rent because they don't want to see gay people. And I didn't know gay people were in this show. Good luck avoiding gay characters yeah. in this day and age in general. It just shows that that person thinks the world revolves around them, that the show needs to cater to them. Again, fuck off. Seriously, fuck off. It's also in the language. If you think about it, people talk about 
your t- it's tolerance. It's called tolerance. Yeah. To tolerate is to okay. Somebody is doing something that doesn't follow your impulse, whether it's sex, whether it's uh, you know deciding that they that they are not your the gender that you know that they were born into. Whatever it is, people as long as they're not hurting anybody else or uh, even asking them to 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 alter their own lifestyle in accordance to you know, to serve them. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I understand it, but it's called tolerance. If you're going to hold your hand over a flame, then you, you're tolerating the flame. If you're going to sit with somebody who lives a different lifestyle than you, you tolerate the difference, which you might find like, I w- well, that's not the way I would, would live. Then in order to have a conversation and join somebody who has a different lifestyle than you, you're going to have to tolerate the feelings that come up until the feelings of friendship or community take over. And that's the part that doesn't get discussed. Mm-hmm. It's not tolerate like you sit there, like you're just on fire every time you're you're sitting next to somebody who lives different. You tolerate it so that that feeling goes away. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, they're just human beings. There's nothing scary going on. No one's going to try and make me do something I don't want to do, you know? <laughs> and by the way, if you think that because you're doing this and putting them in that position, that they're not making the same jokes about you. Yeah. It, and all it does is distance all of us. And I'm so, in my country, it's just a big. It's a clusterfuck. It's a clusterfuck because it's almost like people are just deciding, OK, I'm going to believe that the sky is orange. Yeah. <laughs> and I get it. You know, there are a lot of people having a lot of trouble. The country's so screwed up economically and in, in so many ways. And there are a lot of people in a certain region of the country where they're just they're really hurting. And so when a politician or a non-politician, even better, comes along and makes all these promises like it's the music man. It is the music man. Mm-hmm. And he is a crook. He's fine with himself being a crook. People who know him, he's a, know that he's a con man and a crook and has no, he's just a shell of a human being. And now all of this stuff is happening. I don't know if you're following it over there, but he's, you know, the closest they've ever got to getting him dead to rights and, and putting him away. But he's so good at promotion that he gets ahead of the news and he makes announcements. And he drives the narrative and he gets all of these people who just want to be able to put food on the table. And then they're all darker things, you know, live in a neighborhood that's, you know, all one color and looks like Disneyland or whatever whatever their idea of America is. And we end up going back in time to service these people. And we've lost so much as a country. And it comes down to our ability to, to tolerate. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, it's it's very sad. And so quite frankly, I wasn't going to go see the music, man, if that's what they've done to it. I have so much affection for this show. And I, I just didn't want to see it denuded like that, you know, yeah. beaten up. It's funny you're bringing up, uh, you know, infrastructure and, and uh yeah, the economy, uh, listening to the album, and there, there's a song, Gary, Indiana. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, I thought it was Gary in Diana, and I thought that was the sex scene. No, it's not all. We're not always having sex with women, you know. There's a town called Gary in Indiana. Oh. <laughs> I only know of Gary, Indiana, because of what has happened to it. Yeah, it's grim. It is literally falling to pieces. Because they built this whopping great freeway basically straight over it. And, you know, anyone who lives under it is, it's rooted. You know, yeah. the, the town's broke. Nothing works. You know, the sidewalks are crumbling, literally. 
And I've done this recently, funnily enough. There's a YouTube channel where they do drive-throughs of neighborhoods to show, you know, what's happening. And and the amount of neighborhoods, and Gary is one of the worst, even in just places like Chicago, where they'll go down down a street and every second house is just gone. Like it's got foreclosed at some time at point in the 70s or 80s or whenever it was, and it's just crumbled. And of course, um, you know, a lot of them wood frame houses. So there's literally just empty fields and no one's rebuilt. Yeah, and it's just so jarring to see when, you know, you could drive around Australia and like, we build on everything. Every block of land has a house or a business on it. You know, there's nothing empty. Well, there's literally a whole fucking desert in between us, Evan, that they've not yeah, built we on. Yeah, we have, you know, crews of workers who who weed the paths and, and do the landscaping and, you know, the, the roads are always patched and we get one pothole and we're annoyed, but it, and it's fixed the next day. Oh, okay. You know, and you've got entire cities in America that are just being left to their own devices. You know, it's it's nuts. No, it's, we're we're on the decline. Like, your bridges are falling down. Come on. It's gotten worse. My grandfather was a very successful businessman, and he was a Republican. But Republicans were different then. It was about, yeah, it, it's low. It's it, they would be fighting for for lower taxes, but it was more like it wasn't about lower taxes, especially. It was about stay out of my business. Yeah, Republican classic: big business, small government, fiscal responsibility. Yeah, yeah, give us the freedom to grow. Exactly. Uh, you know, we had a, a a bishop over here when my mom married. My my mother was born Jewish, so she she converted to Catholicism to marry my dad. There was a bishop here named Bishop Fulton Sheen. He was very big. This was in the 50s. And he was so big in New York, he used to have a TV show that would go against the biggest show in the country on Sunday nights. And in New York, it would beat the Milton Berle show. And it, oh, yes. Yep, yep. And he would go up against that. And all he was is he was very charismatic. He used to read, but he also used to talk to the audience. Very nice guy. And so he was the guy who converted my mom, which meant that she had to go in and uh, meet him once a week and he would tutor her, come down to the vestments and all that. And and they had a really nice relationship. And he said, uh, you know, you can always ask me anything. And, and then this is in the 50s. And she said, what's going on with abortion? And this is the 1950s. The Bishop of New York, who went to be the Cardinal, he turned out to be a Cardinal before he died. He said, um, it's a football. It's a political football. Don't even pay attention to it. Well, little did he know that was going to be the driving force of all politics. It was a non it really was a non-issue for a long time. And now someone like Trump or, you know, who, you know, really that whole movement that has nothing to do with being Republican, nothing to do with politics. They find an angry group and they, they have a cause like in my family. We have a, a gay marriage and there was a we have a priest in our family showed up to the wedding with, and sat there with a Bible. It's like, don't come. Then don't come to the wedding. Oh, right. He's objecting. Yeah, like quiet. Like, I'm here. That's like wearing a cross when you see vampires. It's yeah. to protect him. It's, to... it's, that's, <laughs> it's not that far away from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you can squarely put a lot of blame purely on Mitch McConnell's head. He's a terrible, yes. He has been working towards Republican judges for decades. You know, you saw with blocking Obama's appointments and then just barreling through Trump's. They just want to win. Yeah. They just want to win. They just want to, they just want to defeat the, the dastardly left wing. They don't want the left wing to have anything nice. So anytime the left wing get a success, <laughs> it's a tear it down. That's what it is. It's just left wing versus right wing bullshit. They started manipulating language like they did with abortion. Yeah. You know, like they actually think they're saving lives. Meanwhile, you know, 
it's the George Carlin routine, but it's like, you you know, they'll protect the child. But the minute you turn 18, you're on your own, pal. Yeah. You're going to have to fight for us. You know, it's, it's the sanctity of life is all a bunch of crap. It's crap. Even with the phrasing, yeah. the pro-life. No, you're not pro-life. You're anti-abortion. Yeah. They put that moniker on themselves to make make it sound better. That's, I know. I know. I know the tactics. Sorry, I'm, I'm friends with lots of them. Because tolerance... <laughs> I tolerate people despite disagreeing with them is. strongly. But I saw a photo of a baby shoot, a place your baby in this box if you don't want it. And all I could hear was attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Yeah, what is that? That's all I imagine is people putting their fucking babies in there and then suddenly they're getting chopped up into fucking meat pies. Oh, my God, world. What are we doing? What are we doing with ourselves? Well, that's the kind of crap somebody we have people who will actually make an entire community believe that and that community is Texas. You know, <laughs> know. Uh, it's really know. crazy. It's so sad. Anyways, we've gone so far off track. We've gone far afield. We've got let's get back to Pippin. Come on. Uh, Way back to Pippin. Um, good to say. Uh, yeah. So we are in the music man. Evan, okay. quickly go yep. on because way overboard. <laughs> I had the pleasure of watching Matthew Broderick again yeah. in a musical. Did that? I when I saw that you weren't. Did you even audition for that? Did they get you into screen test? Or no, no, oh, no. Are you that serious? Was, no, no. It was. I didn't see it because I had such a, a soft spot for the play that I always thought I'll go back to River City if I ever have a son or if I do a revival. But other than that, it's. It. I don't want to go back. It means too much. That was such a, a great time in my life, a special time. And I actually knew Matthew, and I and I told him. I said I'm not going to watch it because and he totally got it he was very kind i said i just didn't want you to think that i wasn't saying anything but i'm, I'm not gonna watch it because i can't i don't want to go back there i don't want to go back there it means to and he totally got it but at least they did it they sang the words from what i understand and they didn't like correct it no you know yeah no it's only recently it's been corrected yeah yeah no, sorry sorry evan so go ahead evan i'm sorry <laughs> Um, yeah, so as as usual, I, I listened to it as an album first, and then and then watched yeah, watched the uh, the Matthew Broderick uh, two. What year was that? Would have been like two thousand one or something. Three, yeah. And yeah, they they really did nail uh, like the nostalgic look, considering how new it is. I d- had to double check, you know, that it was only twenty years old, you know, not 40, 50 years old. They, they, they the costumes, the filming. Well, you can't tell with Matthew Broderick because he looks the same bloody age. Yeah. Well, he's eternal, isn't he? I haven't seen as I can't say, but I can say that the one with Robert Preston, the original movie, is fantastic. Yeah, I have saw some clips. I didn't get a chance to watch both of them, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, this usually it's the other way around. This is an opposite one. I like the, the show more than the music. I think it's a bit too much barbershop. Yeah. Barbershop, I can only take in small doses. Yeah. And appreciate it. But when it's three or four barbershop-y type pieces in it, and it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. There's a reason why people don't do barbershop anymore. It's just, it just rubs people the wrong way. Also, everything in that show, it's it's a perfect, it's the closest to perfect show I've ever seen. And it's like, it's the great American musical, we call it. And it's, and it's a great story. It's got no fat on it. Mm. And when the barbershop quartet, you know, they're like the local school board and all that kind of stuff. And it's his way of getting rid of them. So it's really funny. Yeah. There's actually a dramatic reason for them. So every time they show up, you're laughing more than you're listening because it's so funny that these guys who were always arguing, he's put together and taught them how to harmonize. And so he's he's really having an effect on this town that he doesn't even understand. You know, that's part of the magic of the play, I think. You know, but anyway, I yeah, to listen to the album is different than to actually experience what he's doing. 
And I think it comes across in the movie really well. Yeah, it does. I, I was I was watching it going, oh, he's going to get you again. He's going to distract yeah. you again. Look, oh, there he goes. Yeah. And yeah. And again, Matthew Broderick's just, just a classic. Loved him in The Producers. Yeah, he's great. I, the movie is really good. I, I've, I've seen some stills from the Hugh Jackman production, and that all looks really on point, the costumes. Some people were complaining about the ages of them, like, you know, you've got Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. and Sutton Foster are supposed to be, well, Sutton Foster is supposed to be, you know, the sister of the little boy who's like 10 and, you know, her, mm-hmm. her mother's not much older than Sutton. So like, it, right. it doesn't seem to work, but uh, I think people are being picky. Yeah. It's actors yeah. playing a character. It doesn't matter if they look 25 anymore. You know, we don't care that Hugh Jackman's not 25. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you're literally watching a lit up box. You're, you're already suspending your belief. Yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah, I, I really, I, I did like the story. I initially, I was about 20 minutes in going, oh, I can see this coming a mile away. I assumed that Harold Hill would, you know, fall in love with the librarian and, um, you know, stay in the town and live happily ever after. But, you know, he kept up the con right up into handcuffs. Uh, that was great. Oh, thanks for spoiling it. I haven't seen the last five minutes. (laughs) No, honestly, I haven't. I had to pause it. I did like the fact that they threw a curveball in there and he really didn't change whatsoever. I do wonder, though, is the Simpsons monorail episode based on this? Possibly. Yeah. Conan O'Brien wrote the monorail episode. That makes sense. They also did, didn't they do a Planet of the Apes? They did Planet of the Apes, where he sings kind of a version of Trouble too, from Chimpanzee to Chimpanzee. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's based on it. Has to be. It is. The episode borrows some elements from the Music Man. Yeah. The monorail song strongly resembling "You Got Trouble," very much so. So well done, Evan. Right. Yay. Well spotted. But yeah, a lot of a lot of my comments are sort of we already covered. Like I was surprised how many songs I did know from it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um. And, and yeah, obviously, but I only know it from things like Family Guy. The guy who runs the Family Guy, yeah, loves that show. I know. Mm. I've, I've invited him onto this podcast like 10 times, Craig. He won't respond. Uh, he has like 6 million followers, so I'm not surprised. Whatever. One day we will get him on. Anyways. <laughs> you could yeah. spend a lot of time listening to all the different cast recordings and watching all the different movies. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's pro shots around or bootlegs or no that's not but i did i did see some clips from from the current stage show and it, it, it does look pretty grand and well done well it should be but yeah and again it reminded me of hello dolly a lot that, that kind of musical that sort of just keeps getting done over and over and over and everyone seems to know except me <laughs> well the it's also there's some shows that are Amer- very american like I, I, there was talk of doing a production in the UK, and I think they've tried it before, and it never plays there. I think some stuff is just regional, you know. I mean, I'm sure there's entertainment that you know a lot of stuff that's strictly Australian. It's not for it's it's not you know it's made for Australians, yeah. and so there's a lot of stuff I I would you know by definition not be in. On. But um, I think I always thought it was pretty universal, but it really is steeped in American. It has this really American feel, so I can see why it might not play anywhere else. Which it sort of, you know, it always does well here, but I don't know that it would play anywhere else. I think we might have had like a console semi-staged version in Melbourne, a professional one. That's what they do, yeah. Yeah, those annoy me because they're always priced the same as a proper production. You're just not getting... Yeah, and they're just standing there. Yeah, 
I had never heard this show until we did this episode. So this has been a learning experience for me too. Oh. I knew Shapoopy from Family Guy. <laughs> and I knew Till There Was You from The Wedding Singer, because Alan Albertini Dow sings it in that. I believe she sings it in that. Either way, I did know that song. I knew 76 trombones because my granddad had an old electric organ and he had a book of musical theatre songs. So they'd be like singing in the rain and there was 76 trombones. So I knew that one. And I knew the Wells Fargo wagon from Romy Michelle's high school reunion where Lisa Kudrow goes, oh, I love the music man. And then she sings it. Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. <laughs> right, oh. right. But right, that's right. my only knowledge of the music man my whole life. I had gone this far and like I... I've said it before, I grew up on Rocky Horror and like hair and and grease and stuff like that. Yeah. And yet I missed out on family stuff. <laughs> I don't know why I'd never seen it. And I don't know if it is for that reason that it's steeped in Americana. Maybe. It might be part of that. But it's also, it's big, but it's kind of a quaint musical. They do it at all the high schools mm. here. Like every, all the high schools always do it. I mean, everybody does it. But it's, so there's some, there's some of that, but I think also it's, Right before musical theater changed and they were doing stuff like hair, they were doing stuff like music. And uh, and it was it was a little bit more chaste. And then everything changed with hair. And, and uh, the first show I ever saw was part of that second wave, like, you know, Pippin. I saw Pippin. And that's actually pretty dark. Yeah. At least the production that the original production was really dark. And I think they there was a version of it that they, they sent out into the world that wasn't quite as quite so much. Pippin is, yeah, it's quite surreal. And they did do a yeah. pro shot of that, but they cut out like 10, 20 minutes of it. Yeah. I don't know why, but. It, the it was amazing because the first musical I saw was a musical that deconstructed musicals, mm -hmm. you know? So I sort of, even as a kid, just sort of like, it sort of trains, that musical trains you to look at musicals and just go, that's all phony. I love that play. Yeah. Um, now, this was your Broadway debut, and you weren't, yeah. before this, you weren't known for musicals. Is this still your most tiring job today? <laughs> tiring or tiresome? Either one. Uh, well, that, that would have to leave to other people. Uh, no, no, no. I think the most tiring was, well, this, you know, there was something about it. I'd go and do that play, and it's eight shows a week, and um, it's a lot. And um, But no matter how bad or or tired i felt if it's towards the end of the week the minute you heard the music and of course getting a crowd going it's, it was fantastic it was such a great experience yeah uh that it just sort of it went so quickly uh but the i think the tiring was anytime you play an athlete and they're actually showing the athletic event like and you have to <laughs> you have to you have to go through the motions of you know someone who's a professional athlete and train yeah. so i did this movie um uh cinderella man with your countryman uh, Russell Crowe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we had to train. We went, you know, I, I trained for like six months to do that. And it, it was, I loved it. I loved it, but it was, it wasn't easy, but that was much more tiring. Oh, there, well, you, there go. you go. Well, I think by now he knows the territory. So we're <laughs> going to go to an ad break before Evan, she poopies his pants. <laughs> Hey listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales 
a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time, and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened, everybody gathered around, I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead, Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo!
Anyways, we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the phenomenal Craig Bioko. Now, did you ever hear from Tom Cruise's people about your impersonation of him? No. no they didn't try to sue? No. Well, no. Well, you know, the first thing is, it's not supposed to be Tom Cruise. Like, nobody ever said, imitate Tom Cruise. They didn't want to, nor would I be interested in something like that. Also, those guys, I mean, it was, this is the crew that did, like, Airplane and all those Naked Gun and stuff like that. These guys were the originators of it. So there are a lot of people who got that style wrong but they sort of invented it and there's a whole they have a whole what they call a bible it's all the rules that you can't break there's a way to do it the rules and um so uh, i got like training in that and one of the things that they do is rather than cross the line and offending people they invent the line and then they cross it but they're well within the margins of being offensive good taste is not necessarily you know uh, or bad taste, you know, is questionable, but offending somebody they don't want to do. So the fact a lot of what was happening with Tom Cruise, I think you could trace back to his involvement with Scientology. They will not make fun of another person's religion. So there was a very funny scene based on a conversation he had with one of our journalists here. And it was very funny, but it implied that he believed in something, you know, that wasn't quite right. And they were making fun of it. And as funny as the scene was, they wouldn't do it. You know, somebody else had written the script and they were just like, no, we're not going to do that but the scene with him jumping on the couch that wasn't necessarily about religion that was about katie you know katie holmes for whatever it was he he was fully present he wasn't like you know out of his mind on something and and he just made his own choice to behave that way Mm -hmm. and i think you know i don't i think someone like he's very savvy and i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that stuff was just he's a very smart person from what i understand a very and he really understands what being a movie star is all about. I have a lot of trouble believing that he completely lost control of himself. But what he did was really funny. And it was the talk of everybody was talking about it, which is a lot of what it comes down to. And therefore, they, it was ripe to make fun of. Uh, but it was never supposed to be him or about his beliefs. And they and the director, David Zucker, just he, he said he never does this. But he, for, there are two scenes in that movie where he just let me improvise. And we had so much fun. It was that and the car locking scene when the tripods are coming yep. and, and it's the timing it with the guy to get into the car. There's like a 10 minute version of that scene, but they just keep going. Yeah. But that thing where he just let me run around and he had the Oprah there. There was, you know, we were going to break her wrist. That was all fixed. But the other stuff like me punching myself, we just came up with like on the fly. It was so fun. You know, yeah. it has nothing to do with Tom Cruise. So there was no reason he would ever call me and or I'd ever you know, find myself yeah. beaten up by, you know, a rogue team. Yeah. No cease and desist. Yeah. You've done comedy, drama, sci-fi, horror, and action, plus thrillers and musicals, obviously. Is there a genre you're keen to dive into? Like, we're going to see you in the Wild West or something, hopefully? I, I'd love to do some. Man, I love... Do you guys get Westworld there? You get Westworld, don't you? Yeah, sure. I love it. I love that show. I'm pretty lost, but I... I, I mean, it's really complicated, but I like it. I love Westerns. I love... I like to work. So it's funny that I get known for you get known for whatever you're introduced to the public as. And I think at that point, Music Man was by far the biggest thing I had done. And then I, you know, I've always been kind of light, fun, easy to get along with. And I'm not uh, confrontational, but it just so happens that, you know, I did a movie where I play a bad guy. And for a long time, I was and it's helped me a lot that I don't end up playing, you know, a leading man or, you know, I like playing the bad guy. And actually thought, oh, that's too bad. I'm never going to get a chance to do that. But I got cast in this thing and, the, and it changed everything. 
So th- there's no, there's, there's nothing that I, it's funny for musicals. I do them. I, I enjoy them. I don't really like to go see them very much. It has to be really great for me to go see it because I, I get bored really, really easily. And it's not like, oh, I, everything has to live up to a certain. It's it's not like that. I just uh, um, it's very funny to me. that I mean, I did a lot of musicals growing up in high school, but it wasn't necessarily what I saw myself doing. It, it just came along. I auditioned for it and I got it. And then all of a sudden, that's what people know you for. And they just assume that's what you that's the only thing you do. Yeah, You've been working for 13 years before then sitcoms and all that so i just keep switching it up if something's different if something's really different i kind of embrace it and just go good now they'll know me for this and i'll screw with it'll screw with them anyway i like to just work yeah <laughs> don't we all uh, but okay how important or necessary is diplomacy between friends in this industry <laughs> uh so for you how do you approach this you know, this is already, it can be a stressful business and and it's all built in, you know, getting on stage. If you think about it, you're getting up in front of people who are paying money to stare at you. You better be interesting. You better come up with the goods. So <laughs> if you stop and think about it, it's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. Who would do that? But that's what we do. So to make it sort of a workable thing for me, I, I found that I really needed to aggressively kind of cut out anybody's opinion. Yeah. And I, I think like a lot of actors, but not not everyone and not everyone needs to do this. But for me, I'd never read reviews. I don't want to hear about them, the good or the bad ones, just not any of my business. And that's the way I look at it. And the only person, the only person I really care about pleasing is the director. It's their vision. Whoever's directing the play, that's the person that I keep going back to and myself, you know, and then if I'm on stage with somebody, I mean, there's kind of an unwritten rule that you, you know, you never talk to another actor and just say, hey, you know, this, you go through the director and the director talks or the stage manager, there's a way to do it. And so you don't rile anybody. People, it's very scary. And it's, and it's, people have different ways of dealing with the tension. Uh, and the last thing you want to be in a play is a piece of bad news that, you know, they're just sort of, you're the guy who's said this horrible thing to somebody and it wasn't even what you intended. They always go through people whose job it is to direct the other person and just that seems simple to me so it's just a couple of simple rules i really don't ask people when they come backstage like what they thought if they want to say something and then i always you have to fight the urge you know it'll feel like i was really great last night tonight i wasn't it doesn't look any different (laughs) it's a feeling you should have been there last night. Yep, we hear that a lot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And actually what was said to me was it's it's if you do that, it's insulting to the person because they've just said that they really like you. And you said, I wish you could have seen it last. You're kind of insulting their, you know, it's good news. They liked it. Shut up. Shut up. That's where you find out like why people are doing this. They're doing it because they want to be praised and they want to be lifted up and be more important than, which is really tempting. I can't say it's not why I didn't come into the business, you know, women and impressing people and cutting corners. And the big joke with show business is you're actually adding corners. They're extra corners. So I just like to keep it really simple. And everything that was really special to me and made it seem like it was different than it was, I've just sort of cut out along the way. And I deprive myself of this stuff that is only going to end up being disappointing anyway. Making people's other people's opinions too important is a dangerous thing. Yeah, no, I can. Yeah. I just think we we invest too much if we don't allow our friends to be honest with us. Yeah. I think that's a kind of a almost bullying place to be that you're literally saying to your closest friends that they have to 
change their opinions because your feelings might be hurt. I mean, you're only one cog in a machine of a show and the audience is seeing a portion of that whole machine. So that's what they're judging it on. So it is just their opinion. They're going to not be right or wrong because it is just their opinion. So I do think you're probably right in just cut it all out and, and not worry about it because some people I think do worry too much. Yeah. I think so. And I, and also at the same point, like nobody, it it doesn't matter what I think. So if I'm going to go back and see somebody, I can always find something that I genuinely got out of, you know? And if they ask you, then you can be honest and say, I didn't really get the play, but let's wait till we're out of the theater, you know, to talk about it. But nine times out of 10, nobody wants to hear it and nobody really wants to say it. So if I never really got people who were like, go, they go backstage to say, I didn't get it. What were you doing? Like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. Maybe not right after the show. Like, you know, actors are just coming down at that point. But um, anyways, we'll move on. Uh, what's your weirdest party trick? I don't go to many parties. So uh, my weirdest trick is that I don't go to many parties. That's my party trick. I maintain friendships and avoid parties. I, I'm not like a, I go every once in a while, but I have to be, I always have to be dragged. Yeah. I, I like being home. Yeah. Mm. So it really has to be something special for me to go. Yeah. Now, look, your Jack Nicholson impersonation was pretty good. So we'll, we'll say it's that. Anyway, it's just two more questions. Who would be in your VH1 Divas Live lineup? Oh, just stewardesses stewardesses from the uh, late 60s early 70s they don't even have to sing or anything just those you know the high white boots and the white lipstick and blonde frosted hair i i really don't i'm not very demanding but lastly um i don't know if everyone's got any questions but what's been your relationship with standing ovations over time well susan stroman is such a good director that she actually may would make it necessary for the audience to stand up at the end of music man we got a standing ovation almost every night the show was enough to take on, especially the way that she directed. A lot of dancing, a lot of moving. It was a very, very well-directed show. And then she, about a weekend, she said, okay, we're all going to be taking trombone lessons after rehearsal every day. We had to learn the trombones. We came in after the play, and after we took our bows, we came in and played 76 trombones. Wow. And it was really funny. And and we had to go through what the kids in the show went through. And the and it really hit the audience. And they just went nuts when they saw us actually playing. It was uh, really great. And um, most plays, they don't stand up. There was sort of the age of standing up where everybody would get a standing ovation. And it was sort of like getting a trophy in Little League. Yeah, participation. Uh, you know, just for sh- participation more. And this last show, we got a standing ovation pretty much. I think we got it every night. And I was like, this is for the show. All we did was like get out of the way and not fuck it up. I mean, we delivered the message. So I suppose they, they but the message we were delivering was Bob Dylan and Connor McPherson. I mean, pretty great. And it was completely moved. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I don't. If you make it about standing ovations, I don't know. And if I'm seeing somebody in something and the play is really good, I will definitely stand up. I stand up. I try to be shameless about it. Yeah, I'll stand up. What if everyone else is standing up and you didn't feel it? Do you stand up to be nice? No, those people should be shot. (laughs) You might as well just go, didn't care for it. Sorry, (laughs) didn't care for it. Like anybody gives a shit. That's no, like that's what you're, that's basically what you're saying. I've, I've seen that before. Like, you know, you, so they're giving a standing ovation. You really have to go. I mean, I would sit there and go, okay, this is funny because they're all standing and this is what you sort of dreamed of when you're a little kid, but I'm going to get back in that car and realize 
ah, the relationship with so-and-so is still within 10 minutes. I'm going to be upset about something, you know, life goes on. They're like, yeah. yeah, but why isn't she calling? What the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? I'll be <laughs> upset about, you know, real life. And I, I remember making that connection during music, man, and going, this is not it. This isn't it. This is great. But this isn't the, this isn't the end. This isn't, if this is what people are shooting for, and there are plenty of people who are I'm like, no, I, I don't think this is it. It's part of it. It's great. And it's, and there should be a high watermark, but if you're like, I didn't get the ribbon, I got to blow my head off, you know? Um, So my relationship with standing ovations is whatever. Also is, you know, I know how hard it is to get out there night after night and do something. And if, if everybody else is, if I don't know, I just go by myself. If I really am moved by something and I feel like I want to stand up and let people know, I don't, I'll shout bravo, bravo. I love those people who do that. It means a lot, you know? You know you've gotten to somebody. And it's very encouraging. But I don't like to just, I don't do it. It's all the same stuff. Like, I think you could just do something because everybody else is doing it. Yeah. But yeah. I think if everybody stands, just stand up. Don't be the guy. Oh, no, I am that guy. You are that guy. Yeah. That, I, I, you're right. Like, it should be a high watermark. And that's what I, I just feel like that watermark has been sedated a little bit that's all yeah uh, i know it's we're in a post-covid world though so everyone's just excited to be out of the house so okay i'll, I'll give us a year that's right I'll that's right it's different <laughs> yeah so anyways uh, question seven you got any or did we yeah uh well it was more a comment i, I just find it, it it's a great honor to speak to someone who's in one of my favorite films of all time 13th floor oh i will great. Re- I will recommend that when someone goes, oh, I, what, what should I watch? You know, give me something interesting to watch. Go, go watch 13th Floor. I saw it at the movies years ago. You would have been young. No, I'm I'm 37 now. Yeah, there was a random one that I've like picked up at the video shop. I think it would have still been on VHS. Yeah, it's one of those lesser known classics. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Picked it at random. Just went, oh, what's this? I knew nothing about it. And um, yeah, absolutely love that film. There are a lot of people who are discovering it now. That's the great thing about this age now is that everything's you know everything sticks around for a while so if it doesn't make its mark at the theater doesn't disappoint uh, you know and disappear but yeah that's it's great and uh god vincent d'onofrio i mean he's fantastic in that movie and i don't know if you're watching it but i've been watching westworld i really like it and this week i went oh god i think somebody on this show is aware like it was so there's something happened that was right out of that movie right although that you know that genre is i mean a lot of similar but there was a turn i just thought well so much going on in westworld i can't keep track of it but uh, (laughs) yeah it's just sort of come it's people are kind of finding it now it's kind of cool i still can't explain it my, my mother doesn't understand it haven't successfully explained it to my mom but uh, uh well that'll happen one of these days i'm glad you liked it thank you yeah no it's one of those ones that stuck with me uh, yeah me too to this day i will recommend people to watch it yeah it's a good one it's a good one i need to ask this do you get sick of people asking you about chandler about turning down chandler <laughs> oh no, i don't know it's the same old story no 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 it's the same old story well most people are like oh god how did you it's like yeah when when i read the script I didn't, I read another one I liked more. Yeah. No, I liked it. Yeah. I, I just, and nobody comes up to you and says, this one is going to go. The other one's not. It doesn't. You just read a script and you go with what you, when I read it, I thought it was very funny, but I liked the other one better. And the other one was a little bit, it was, it was different. And this, and Friends, when it came out, I was a big fan of Seinfeld. And I just thought it's sort of Seinfeld light. It doesn't, and I like Seinfeld because Seinfeld's actually 
kind of nastier. They're, they're all sociopaths. Oh, yeah. Nobody says I love you. In fact, Larry David said, no one's going to say I love you. No one's going to learn anything. And if you want me to a fucking walk, I'm not interested. And all he was and the only reason he was like that was because he he was like he when they picked up the show, he's like, now I got to write 13 of these. No, yeah, there's no please. He's basically George, you know. Yeah, I just thought it, it's not Seinfeld, and it's one of those shows it's trying to be, and it ended up being successful. But you can't predict that. No. Uh, I'm good friends with Matthew Perry, and to yeah. be honest, it's so beautifully cast that you have to kind of step back and go, "This was meant to be. This, yeah, it should have. I, it should have been this. Like that's it's great." Yeah. And I never really had this uh, feeling of like, "Well, that's I." You know, I could have been a beetle. Like it's not, it's not that yeah. at all. And I said that. I think I said it to Evan that I I predicted that you would probably be better off not being tied down to. Well, that is that does happen. And it was successful. But it was massive. It was so huge. And all six of those lives changed remarkably. Their choices changed. The the things they were getting changed. You know, you it's a long life, and you have to realize that there's there's going to be the second act of your life and what's going to happen if you're perceived a certain way and uh you know there you know there a lot came for them which is really really great i won't deny that that they're you know it it would be easier to have like you know 80 million dollars in the bank but that's money and that's that's anything and it really wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like a decision you made to not have that it was based on what information you're given which is that when this you know the future of it was like that but you know that mm. so you have yeah. to i give people i have to give people i had to learn to sort of like uh it's tolerance actually because people like how did you turn that down it's like well you don't turn it down knowing what it's going to be nobody would turn that and and yeah. if you knew the actor it's it's just that most people don't talk about it but if you knew the people who big stars who turned down like Star Wars because they're like, why do I want to do a stupid thing like that? Big stars who are like, what the fuck was I thinking? It's like, that's kind of sad to me. It's like, but you're this guy. Also, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's nice to go around saying I'm the guy who was originally offered that. I didn't tell anybody until Matthew said so. Oh, really? Like I used to go on Conan O'Brien's show. I don't know if you guys got it. Did you get it? There? Oh, I love Conan. Was that a big? Yeah. yeah. I used to go on his show and they would say, tell the friend story. And I was like, cause I tell it in a funny way, but I, I was, I just said, I, I can't do that until Matthew tells it first. And he finally did tell it. And I went, okay, now I can tell it. And I, I did. And it was, and I, it's just part of who I am. I'm sure they'll, they'll, it'll be in my obituary, you know, and that's okay. And it's also good if you're a comic actor to have a, you know, I call it like a Jack Benny violin, you know, something that you're that makes you in the audience's perception, like a, an extra weight that you're carrying. They can relate to you. Oh, he's got this thing he's carrying around. That's fine. You know, I can use that. The truth is, I wouldn't be able to joke about it if it was something that I even thought about. I mean, now I don't even think about Sorry it. Sorry to break it up then. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, actually, my, my wife, um, my wife actually asked me this uh, asked me this question like you know how does how would how does he feel about you know the Chandler thing and I went well if if he had taken the role uh, he wouldn't have taken all these other roles and he would he would you would be forever seen as Chandler like I I, I don't know if that's an envious position no it's and it doesn't necessarily happen talent rises I mean the thing is that I knew Matthew probably like 
four or five years before that show came along. And he's as funny as Chandler is. Matthew's funnier. Matthew's funnier than that. He's just really, really funny. And it was very unique way of, of performing. And that was right on for the part. I bought a lot of that into the audition. And all it was was just a big compliment of like, yeah, they wanted me to do this. And it wasn't right for me, you know, and you don't get all the information. But yeah, there's no it's hard to explain because I think people who aren't in the business just think, whoa, you had you had this thing. You, it doesn't work like that. You have opportunities. I think it, it would be different with like, oh, you know, it would have been hard is if you do it and then you get fired mm -hmm. after trying as best you can. It was it wasn't what I wanted at the time. Yeah, like Eric Stoltz in um, Back to the Future. That's hard. And I know him and he's fine. I'm sure it was difficult. I didn't know him then, but I'm sure it was difficult. I also knew a guy at college when I was going to I went to Northwestern, which is in Chicago, outside of Chicago. And there, it was between Michael J. Fox and my buddy for that role. And I remember he was nervous. He was sweating all the time, waiting to find out because he thought he might get this thing. And it didn't it didn't work out for him. And he's fine. He works. He does stuff. It's just a, it's your job. You go yeah. and you you grab for things. But I'm also a fatalist. I think things work out the way they're supposed to. I know people on Friends and I also know people who have done, you know, they're even richer and more successful. And it doesn't necessarily make them happier people. It really, really doesn't. There's a lot that comes with that, too, that people don't like to think about. And a lot of it, some of it might have to do with like, OK, now it's 20 years later. And now what? That shows in reruns. People are still seeing you that way. It's another burden. And if you think about it, other than Jennifer Aniston or, uh, well, other than Jennifer, Aniston, you really don't see the other ones very much. It's not a ticket to the rest of your life. And when you, when you say you like to work and you're not seeing yeah. a lot of David Twimmer. Uh, he's directing a lot now though oh yeah he's very he's he's very talented and actually yeah. he went i went to school with david uh and i remember that was that was the part i wanted i thought if i do it that's the part at the beginning it seemed like that's the star of the show that and he and rachel were the stars of the show it was the way the pilot was written and i just thought yeah that's going to be an interesting role david's going to be great in it and they said well how about chandler and i read for it and i felt like it felt great but i wanted to do this other thing which was also really funny, but it just, it was the timing. I just really felt like, oh, everything's working out the way that it should. Just step back and let things happen. Yeah, that's it. And I always say that the universe mm. is looking after this show yeah. and things will fall into yeah. place. But Matthew Perry was doing, I think it was something like 500 AD or 5000 AD. It was a, he was a baggage handler in space. LAX 2000. A LAX that's 2000. It's, that was the sitcom that was on just before Friends. So you not taking the part, got him the part of Chandler, got him out of that awful, awful thing. I think it was a chimpanzee or something or a. Well, everybody was auditioning for this show called, it was called Six of at that point it wasn't called friends so everybody was auditioning for it he couldn't because he was doing this show mm. by the time i said no and i went on to do this other thing it opened up and he found out that that show wasn't picked up yep. and then he could go and do it it did That's it right. just sort of worked out yeah so anyways we won't keep you any longer you have been an amazing guest thank you so much for joining us it has been an absolute honor really great you guys i really enjoyed it thank you quickly where can people find you on the social medias Oh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, buzz off. I don't want any followers. I just want some alone time on Twitter. No, yep. I'm at uh, <laughs> Mr. Craig Bierko. Yep. So it sounds like Craig. Yeah. 
It sounded like Craig. Yeah, I heard Craig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Craig. 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 Yes. But uh, and the uh, same thing for Instagram and Facebook is just uh, Craig Bierko or Craig Bierko adjacent. I think I've got all the. I think on Facebook you can only have a certain amount of followers. So I have Craig Bierko adjacent. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Which is this? I just make sure that everything goes over there too. Find Distillator and tell me what you think of of them if they're good. We'll have to do them. Yeah, that would be awesome. If you have Distillator, have me on. I'll bring my mother on. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> Open invitation, Craig. Anytime. Okay. Great. It was nice. Also, you can catch Craig on Cameo. Check his Twitter for the details. But also, a cause that is close to Craig's heart is the Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. So if you can spare a dollar or two, please help these pioneers of infant heart transplants. Check below for the details where you can send a donation. Uh, To you at home, you take care, and we shall see you next time. Hero, Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for saying yes. Oh, please, I enjoyed it. I'll see you guys later. Peace. Like, like, like.